This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Antibody oligonucleotide conjugates are a new class of therapies that Avidity Biosciences is developing. These therapies combine the specificity of monoclonal antibodies with the precision of oligonucleotides. The company says by marrying these technologies together, it's able to deliver RNA therapies to previously inaccessible tissue and cell types and more effectively target the underlying genetic drivers of diseases. The company is initially focused on muscle diseases, but expects to expand out from there. We spoke to Sarah Boyce, CEO of Avidity Biosciences, about its antibody oligonucleotide conjugate platform, how its AOCs can deliver RNA therapies to tissue and cell types that were previously inaccessible, and its lead program in myotonic dystrophy type 1. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to join you today. We're going to talk about Avidity Biosciences, its antibody oligonucleotide conjugate platform, and its efforts to develop therapies for rare conditions, including myotonic dystrophy. Let's start with antibody oligonucleotide oligonucleotide conjugates, though. People may have heard of antibody drug conjugates, but Antibody oligonucleotide conjugates may be a, a new concept to them. What are antibody oligonucleotide oligonucleotide conjugates? Yeah, sure. So, and to make it easy, um, we also use the abbreviation AOCs. So it's a lot like ADCs, um, antibody drug conjugates, where you know an antibody is used and a drug is attached to it. What we're doing is something different, um, and Actually, the antibody oligonucleotide conjugate, or AOCs, was invented entirely in-house. And what we use is the antibody. It's kind of like a delivery vehicle to be able to get our drug, which in this case is an oligonucleotide, or you know, think of it as, as an RNA, you know, an RNA therapeutic. We're using the antibody to deliver the RNA to our target cell. Then from there the RNA can then get into the cell and do its job. Um, so it's bringing together two known technologies to be able to do something different. And in our case, we're looking to target different cell types and tissue types than previously were obtainable before. Well, what limitations of oligonucleotides does this allow them to overcome? Yeah, so one of the fundamental challenges with oligonucleotides has been that of delivery. 
and it's been that of successful delivery outside of the liver. You can deliver oligonucleotides very successfully to the liver. There are many therapeutics that have come out of being able to do that. But delivery to other cells and tissue types has been a fundamental challenge. And that's where we come in with our technology. And we view ourselves as we're a, we're a delivery company. We're an oligonucleotide delivery company. And we're using the antibody as that delivery mechanism to get our oligo to cells and tissue types that haven't been achievable before, like, for example, muscle cells. Do the antibodies simply provide a targeting mechanism or do they provide additional therapeutic benefit? Yeah, at the moment, we're just using the antibody as, um, as a targeting mechanism. The challenge with antibody drug conjugates has tended to be in the linker. How difficult is it to marry an oligonucleotide to an antibody and get it to release where it's to in the body? Yeah, so we've engineered the technology from, from scratch. So everything matters, the antibody, the linker, the oligo, how you arrange them in space. Um, the linker is important, but as are all the other aspects. And we're using um, a linker that was developed from the ADC world and modifying it um, somewhat for, for our purposes. But really, every aspect of the technology mattered from an engineering perspective. Oligonucleotides come in different flavors. Are you able to conjugate any oligonucleotide, or are there specific types that work in this way? Yeah, so um, one of the other aspects when we were engineering the technology, we, we did look at um, conjugating different types of oligos. One of the things that for us, though, what's really driven our choices is where we've chosen to use an siRNA approach, so one specific type of oligo, primarily for two reasons. One, they're very well understood and very well characterized, and you can get this really long duration of action with them, so we have the potential to dose pretty infrequently. And they're also very well understood from a safety perspective and have you know, a, a really good safety profile. So from there, we chose to use siRNAs for our programs when we're looking to knock down a target. Um, we do have a set of programs in the DMD space, and now we're looking for exon skipping. So for that, we're using a different type of oligo called a PMO because we're looking to achieve a different purpose. So essentially, we could conjugate um, anything we would choose from a with regards to oligos, but we specifically chosen the siRNAs and the PMOs for DMD. And how do you determine what indications might be best treated with an AOC? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And the aspect of one of the things when you have a technology and you have the potential to deliver it um, to different cells and tissue types, you know, we started with muscle because in part by the antibody that we identified. And then from there, when we looked at muscle, it was really driven by where is the greatest sunlight medical need? Um, if you look at our goal by the end of this year is to have three programs in the clinic for three different rare diseases, all of which were there are no approved therapies. Our lead program, which is in the clinic today, is in the myotonic dystrophy space. We chose the myotonic, my, myotonic dystrophy as our lead program. Um, one, in terms of it made perfect sense as a way to address our technology. 
and from the aspect of there's no approved therapies available for people who are living with this disease. Um, you know, and, and I think from a, from a biotech perspective and from an industry perspective, we're people developing drugs for people. And where we would target the technology first is where there's people who don't have an approved therapy. At the same time, is there something about neuromuscular conditions that make them particularly attractive to this type of an approach? Um, I think in terms of one of the elements, we use a transparent antibody. That's what we conjugate our oligos to. And you know, using a transparent antibody is ideal for targeting muscle cells. So a lot of it was driven by the receptor that we're targeting. There are, though, in the neuromuscular space, there are a set of rare genetic diseases which have been ideal for an oligo approach. But up until this point, no one's been able to deliver the oligo. Um, so from that aspect, there's lots of work to do um, in the neuromuscular space. Well, let's talk about your lead indication, which, as you mentioned, is myotonic dystrophy type 1. For listeners not familiar with myotonic dystrophy, what is it? Yeah, so it's a rare genetic disease, and it's caused by a mutation in the DMPK gene, where people with myotonic dystrophy, they have a set of repeats, um, a set of CUG repeats. You and I, we probably have about 30 um, repeats, CUG repeats um, in our DMPK gene. People who are living with this disease can have hundreds to thousands of repeats. What that means is essentially, is essentially the RNA kind of all gets knotted up. Um, and with that, a whole load of other splicing proteins that are really important for muscle function. So these patients suffer from deterioration of muscle function. They also suffer from where the muscle is unable to release uh, one of the hallmarks of the disease is someone being able to um, shake someone's hand but not be able to release that grip. Now, that sounds pretty simple, but think of it if you're trying to walk and your calf muscle is contracting, but your calf muscle isn't releasing. You're going to have some real challenges. It's a disease that robs um, you know, people of their independence, it impacts every aspect of their lives. It impacts entire families. Um, and, you know, in 70% of cases, the primary cause of morbidity and mortality is also cardiac and lung function because they're muscles and it impacts those muscles as well. Well, how does the condition generally progress and manifest itself? Yeah, so it, it will often progress. Initial manifestations will be that that, that myotonia, um, but it can be very different from person to person. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's through, you know, someone suffering from real GI issues. Sometimes it manifests um, initially as crippling fatigue. Um, often, what happens is. Um, because of anticipation, so over generations, the length of the repeats get bigger. So often there's a child born who is clearly very ill, and then the family is tested, and we've had several occasions where you know generations are diagnosed within minutes of each other, um, you know, and where you have a grandmother who's looking after her grandchild 
because her daughter isn't well enough to do it. And the grandmother's probably going to outlive the grandchild. Um, from that aspect, you know, the impact on families is, you know, is it, tremendous. It, it's one of these conditions where the manifestations of the disease can seem like so many different exactly. things. How tough is it to diagnose? Yeah. So, you know, I think is often the case with rare diseases and particularly where there are no approved therapies. We hear stories of people bouncing from specialist to specialist and taking years to get to a diagnosis because um, it can present in a whole range of different ways. Um, the, the definitive way is through that um, genetic testing, and sometimes that can take a long time for someone to get to the right place to be able to have that. And, and how are patients treated today? What's, what's the prognosis for someone with the condition? There's no treatment today, nothing. Um, so it's really um, support to help people with the um, symptoms of their disease or how it impacts their lives, but that's it. The research community and the patient community, I mean, they're incredible. They're extremely well-organized. Um, and actually, you know, are conducting natural history studies. So to really get a better understanding of the disease and how it progresses. So up until we entered the clinic, um, really for patients, it was to enroll in a natural, ha natural history study, but that was all that could be done. What is AOC 1001 and, and how does it work? Yeah, so AOC 1001 is our first, um, our first drug to enter into the clinic. Um, and, you know, that's for the treatment of myotonic dystrophy. How it works quite simply is we're looking to knock down the DMPK gene. And by doing that, we can release what has become clogged up and hopefully be able to make a real impact um, in, in patients' lives by... Um, hopefully being able to, um, you know, at minimum be able to sort of stop the progression of the disease by allowing the, the muscles to function better than they can today. What's known about it from studies to date? It's pretty well understood from an aspect of um, natural history. There has been you know, a great deal of work on that and looking at that progression um, identifying you know, how to um, how to diagnose genetically, and in terms of from a treatment approach, we do know from a program that went before us, which unfortunately did not progress in the clinic, that you know if you can knock down DMPK, you can then have an impact on muscle on the muscle splicing proteins, which are the things that could impact muscle function. So kind of like your 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 scientific concept has been validated. What's the clinical path forward for you? Yeah, so right now um, we have a, a study called the MARINA study, which is an ongoing phase one, two study in patients. Um, and we're looking to take a midpoint look at, at, at that study in sort of the fourth quarter of this year. And study completion is um, October of the following year, year. And from there, by being able to go directly to patients, what that enables us to do is to, one, obviously, first and foremost, it's a phase one, 
phase one, two study. So your primary objective is around dose selection and understanding safety and tolerability. But we can also learn a lot about the disease as part of that, which will hopefully then um, inform the design of a pivotal study. I know you're looking at other neuromuscular conditions, but uh, the technology can be compelling for a a range of other diseases. What's the approach you're taking to looking beyond these conditions? Yeah, so we already have... um, programs in the immunology space and also in looking at targeting the heart. Um, We're doing some of that in partnership. Um, There's an aspect of almost we have so much potential and what we can do um, that we're also working with partners to be able to advance the technology faster than we otherwise could do ourselves. And we're also already working on how we can um, advance and improve the technology as well. So we've got a really big agenda. I mean, our goal is to really disrupt the RNA space um, by opening up all these cells and tissue types that previously no one could target. Do you think of yourself as a platform company? Yeah, we are. We're a platform company, and we also think of ourselves as a delivery company. You know, we're looking at how we can best deliver RNA therapeutics to cells and tissue types. And that's enabled through our platform, which is the AOCs. Sarah Boyce, CEO of Avidity Biosciences. Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.